that's just fuggish behaviour. Not tonight, you're not on the list. Hello, I'm Gunnar McLoon and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast produced weekly for Rewind That Track. On this podcast, we interview, dive deep and take a journey into the lives of those in the music industry. From DJs to promoters, we take a look at what people have witnessed backstage, on stage and everything in between. My guest this week is an audio engineer, a teacher, director and owner of Huddersfield's best music venue basement. It's Jake Birdass. During this episode, we discuss what goes into running a venue, having a sound system so loud that it destroyed neighbouring toilets, how sound engineers can trick MCs on stage, what is witnessed promoters do wrong at their own events, and why you shouldn't always trust people in suits in the music industry. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Music and chuck us a review or like on our social media pages to show your support. My guest this week is an audio engineer, a teacher, director and owner of Huddersfield's best music venue. He's helped carve a space and home in the bass music landscape and hosted dozens of events at Basement. It's Jake Birdass. Good evening, fella. How are you? Whoop, whoop. Yes. How are you doing, Connor? I'm very well, mate. I'm very, very well. Um, it's uh, We've had a couple of weeks now of being back to live events, like you said there yourself. You've got um, you've got people in the venue at the moment. You've got bands practicing. You've got fo- footfall coming through. Uh, right. Does it feel good? Yeah, it feels wicked to be fair. It's been one of them that um, over four years of his own in the venue, it's been a case of just building to this moment really, especially with studios, like we've 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 had a reputation with events before. So it was a case of that kind of naturally carried over. But then when we got the, um, when we got the, the building and tried to start the studios, it was almost like we were starting from scratch, um, especially with that kind of thing. So yeah, it's been good to, to really get the studios popping fantastic mate and like as you mentioned there so that you've got the building so for people that might not be aware of what basement is um how would you describe it in your own words the basement's kind of like a musician's hub um we do live events on weekends and we also like during the week during weekdays uh evening times uh we run uh rehearsal sessions recording sessions um i spend most days mixing mastering so yeah it's just a kind of a place where People can have access to that good musical facilities, uh, regardless if if you're interested in events or if you're interested in like actual music production and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's just like a big collective, really. Um, just a hub for music. Um, so if we were to talk about sort of like what were your earliest experiences in music? Like I'm interested because, like, uh, you're sort of like what were your like, origins? So maybe sort of like first raves, first events, first albums that you were listening to, type thing. So I was always into like um, bands and that. Uh, growing up I remember seeing School of Rock as a youth and being like yeah this is sick like I didn't really listen like my parents aren't really musical people they obviously listen to music but not in like actively passionate about it Um, so it was always a case of I, I seen School of Rock and I was like yeah this is sick like I want to learn how to play guitar, I want to get involved with bands and stuff like that. So then just naturally started uh, looking at artists and evolving from there really. And then it was just the whole energy of uh, going to gigs and what bands brought to the table and stuff like that. And it was just, I was just encapsulated by just energy and crowds. And uh, I was a little 13 year old running about a mosh pit and that when I were a youth and stuff. And then that kind of transitioned into like listening to more DJs, listening to like Daft Punk and stuff like that. Um, Prodigy especially. Um, Prodigy were kind of the artists that I seen them play like at a rock show 
and it was like wow like what is this music um and then from then i found like pendulum and then found like drum and bass and then just kind of kept exploring them elements um, and it was always the same it was like oh it was the the energy that brought me to them genres and then that led me on to it was when i can't remember exactly the time i was probably about 15 i'd say and then i like went to like a i think it was like a i don't know it was, it was the student protests down in london um when they raised all the university fees um, and i'd gone down there and um there were just street parties and um there were just rigs in the street and i was like what the f- what is this like why is it one why is it so loud and like what is this feeling i'm feeling in my chest and then that kind of triggered me onto like they were playing breakbeat and then i found the label breakbeat chaos and stuff like that and then that's when i started learning about sound systems and then i ended up going to a night and hearing a sound system for the first time and i was like this is insane like i've never I've been to gigs before. I've heard loud music before, but I've never like experienced just this feeling of like there's this bass, and from then on, it's just it's just spiraled. So there's a couple of points there that I want to touch on because yeah. I've not been able to chat to anyone, or it hasn't really come up naturally in there. But the the idea of like a sound system. So when people go to raves or people go to events, um, they might not realise that at certain events or like like you said, there are certain street parties, like obviously like Notting Hill and stuff like that was massive for it, and yeah. a couple of the street parties that happened in Bristol. The idea of having a sound system or like a rig where people will obviously build rigs build speakers um build systems and like obviously some of them are infamous and famous so like yeah. you've got the sinai system mm-hmm. you've got like they used to have the valve like um system and like the the concept of like having certain speaker stacks and certain sort of like audio things could you explain a little bit about that because obviously you yourself like at basement have had like the sinai system and stuff before yeah haven't yeah. You? yeah and sort of like what is it what well basically what is it that makes a certain sound system like a certain sound system like what rather than just like a set of speakers like what is it that sort of builds a sound system or a rig well it's kind of like the um the engineers the big part of it they're the people who know the system they're the people who built the system most of the time like uh coming from Huddersfield we've got probably we're like a, quite a small area in Huddersfield in um the UK sorry um and it's like we're not a city uh, we're just a town we're quite a big town but we're still just a town and like we've got hundreds of sound systems and like you'd probably be walking past someone's yard and you'd be like there's probably a sound system in this gaff and then like you probably walk maybe around the corner and there'd probably be another one in but you wouldn't even know um and it's just we've just got such a community here for sound systems so that was kind of like just the different engineers who have built the sounds have tweaked the sounds and we've gone two different venues like in the past where we've used say like um famous sound systems probably like function one um but then the function one system it's one of them that you can just go on the internet and you can just buy it and like it's just there and you do not really learn the sound you don't you can probably set it up yourself it's pretty plug and play but then it's just the case of having an engineer there like say we, we did a gig maybe probably the th- third basement i'd say um and we'd found a different venue it was before we had his own spot just newly renovated it a uh, brand new function one in there cost him a shit ton of money um but then it was just being run into a limiter there were no sound engineer there to kind of catch the sound to tweak the sound and by the end of it it was just being smashed into this limiter and it sounded absolutely awful so it's like you could have a function one that's got a really good really good reputation and like it's quite popular uh with people who don't really int- uh, like not really into sound systems i'd say um it's one of them that like oh we need a sound system of this function one's meant to be really good so let's just cop one of these but then if you've not got an engineer there 
running it, helping you tweet your sound, then like any box is going to be better than a poorly, poorly uh, run function one. So that's what kind of brings me to it is just, and especially with, we, uh, with Sinai, like shout out to Hugh, because he's, he's really took the balls by the, uh, the ball by the horns and he's just like run with it. He's not cared what anyone said. Um, and he's just worked on his craft. He's built things, he's tested things and he's, he's actually really taken the digital age into, into it, into his stride really. And he's used the digital the access to digital equipment that he's got um, and he's combined it with the old school methods of uh, like physical elements. So um, yeah, big up Hugh. Like he, he deserves everything that he's, he's getting. Um, it's great to see him all over the country now. So when you were saying there like about uh, having a, an audio engineer that will basically like uh, you could have like all the best tools in the world, but unless yeah. someone's programming it and mm-hmm. unless someone's sort of like structuring it correctly it's gonna yeah. sound like a bag of shit what do you, what when you say like structuring it or like when we say like programming the speakers and programming the system like what what should you do or like what is it that because like, there'll be people that might not necessarily know, know about sound systems mm-hmm. or might not necessarily know about like sort of the hardware side or the technical side and yeah. they'll just think it's a speaker like yeah. just plug it in and play yeah, which yeah. is obviously yeah. not necessarily the way you've got like bass you've got mid you've got trebles you've got your wattage and everything like that and amplifiers like what would you say like like you mentioned it there some people would just literally plug in a speaker basically put it into a hard limiter which just stops it peaking at a level and we'll just yeah. cut off the decibels at a certain mm-hmm. point and then it will sound like a bag of shit even though it's got all the potential for this sound system to sound incredible like what do you think makes like what what sort of makes a good sound system or like what would you do as an audio engineer that would make that sound system sound great as opposed to just making it sound shit kind of the number one rule that like should be done all the time that doesn't require much like audio knowledge is literally just not running your limit your uh, mixer too hard like we had it this weekend uh, the weekend just gone um with when we opened his first night we kind of proved that with this first with this first event that we did with reopening uh, we had a couple of DJs I'm not going to say who who's but they uh, they should be ashamed of themselves <laughs> but yeah we, we gave them a good bollocking on the night but yeah they were just running the mixer too hard um, so when you say that sorry that means like obviously having so the, the DJs have turned the volume up way too much might have turned yeah. the gain knob up too much and it's yeah. hitting the highest level so on a mixer yeah. you'll have sort of like a visual indicator so yeah. like green orange mm-hmm. red and red yeah. is where it's peaking and yeah. the levels are really high the sound's mm-hmm. distorted but obviously some DJs go fuck it I'll just turn yeah, it up it's high enough I want high energy literally mate it was the master was all the way up the gains were all the all the way up on every channel uh, and then the eqs were all the way up on every channel so it was just absolutely ragging it and it's like the engineer's got a limiter on his side um the mixer's got a limiter built in um and if you're just pushing it way too hard like that um we had two drivers blue um, so I was going to say, what is sort of the the, that, the fallout from from someone just redlining everything, turning the master up, turning the game? What does that do to a sound system or what does that do to your sort of like equipment and venue? So it, it just knackers it basically. So like here we had two drivers blue, which were um, if you're looking at a speaker, you'll see the speaker cone. Um, most people have seen a speaker cone before. Um, and the, when the driver blows, basically the cone like rips. Right. And then if you're still, try, it's still trying to move the speaker... Um, but then the um, it's just flapping about because it's ripped um, and it's not pushing the air, which is the air is the thing that creates the sound. Um, so it's just like, yeah, it's just knackered. And that's something that's quite important because like when we were doing events, we're using function ones and we're just plugged into limiters. Like it's quite easy to, luckily we have DJs playing that normally don't push the boundaries that much and understand it. Whereas in a worst case scenario, you might have people like, 
proper ragging it and ragging it for hours and hours. Um, which at the end of the day, there's drivers like some drivers, the ones that we've got in the sound in there at the minute, like four or 500 quid. So it's like, if you're doing that every show and someone's blowing your stuff every show, it's, it gets costly and that's probably like the, the price of the higher going out the window for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, that's not ideal and that's not what you want and it's not necessarily what, um, well, I mean, there's a lot of on internally, like there's a lot of a uh, meme shared around like within the yeah. industry about like if, if, uh, you're not headlining you're, if you're not redlining yeah, you're headlining yeah, or whatever yeah. it is or stuff like that but realistically most DJs should know obviously not to not to uh, not to be like destroying a sound system is there yeah. ever any do you have chats with I mean maybe you might do now going forward obviously from the unfortunate events of the last one but would you guys as a venue owners and, and the hosts be like look guys this is the sound system do not do this do not do that like we've got we've got it all set up like acoustically and everything correctly yeah. so there's no need to turn up the gain and the volume or like is it most of the time that you'll assume people will know that and so wouldn't be doing that yeah you do kind of assume by me assuming that most artists will understand how a sound system works and like you shouldn't be pushing it and stuff like that it's quite i'm putting a lot of faith into djs to know that really but um but like i say uh, a, a lot a lot dirt um and it's wrong to presume that sometimes um so it was a case of we just tell them on the night if we see some like, like they, they can hack it being pushed several times and but it's always good that's kind of why we set the sound engineer up with the dj as well like we like to have them pretty much next to each other so then if anything happens they can turn it down and they can explain to him like look if you want it louder just let me like i've got the controls here to push it louder and that's what some DJs don't understand is the fact that they want to push it louder on their side and push it through the master when it's like, well, you're just pushing it into a limiter that the engineers set. So it's like if the engineer wants to boost it on their side, they can do that. So then you're not even going to be running into the limiter. So yeah, it's, um, it's one of them. I mean, and there's, it's quite a unique thing as well. Like I know you mentioned it earlier about, uh, about bands and you don't really get it in band culture or not that I've experienced on like live sets, but there's a certain thing about drum and bass where I've never heard any other MCs slagging off sound engineers like they do in drum and bass and jungle <laughs> a lot of the time in sets where they're like, turn my mic up, turn my mic up, need the mic louder, need yeah. to like leave the speaker like the, 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 uh, like I've never heard in any other scene or any other industry, like people slagging off sound engineers like they do in yeah. drum and bass. Not even necessarily slagging them off, but you never normally hear, well, uh, several times in the set, they'll be like, turn my mic up, turn yeah. the speakers up, turn this up. We need it louder, DJ, we need a yeah. sound engineer, we need to do stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, it's quite unique to like mm -hmm. the electronic music scene and it's yeah. quite unique to uh, to like the, um, yeah, the drum and bass scene. Have you ever experienced that at your venue where you've had someone be like calling you out or like calling the engineer out, like turn it up, turn it up, turn it up? Yeah, I have to be fair. But like, there's a very simple trick. It's like, you've got your monitor set up, so that's what the MCs are hearing. So if MC wants it louder, instead of putting it louder to the main speakers, you just put it louder to their monitors and they're like, yes, it's yeah. enough loud now. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not loud out there. It's perfect. Giving them the thumbs up going, yeah, yeah. sorted, mate, sorted. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, yeah, so for people that aren't aware, like, yeah, the DJ and the MC on stage, because some people don't even be aware, like, if you're standing on the stage and all the speakers are facing outwards, it sounds incredibly different to, like, if yeah. you had no on monitor, booth monitor, mm -hmm. you would really, like, struggle to hear sure, sort of yeah. everything that is happening. It's yeah. weird how, like, how if you haven't been on stage, how directional the sound is. So like yeah. the MC and the DJ will have a speaker facing them on the stage. So they like mm -hmm. you said, they can hear what's going on. And a lot of the time, if they do need something turned up, they'll just, like you said, turn the, 
the studio turn the monitor up, up. Yeah, yeah turn the monitor up and then yeah. happy days they think mm-hmm. it's louder even though it's not yeah. they're stopping <laughs> yeah. slagging off the sound yeah. engineer he's just thinking yeah. fucking hell i'm just standing here trying to do my job stop <laughs> pulling me out in front of everyone in the crowd it's yeah. uh it's uh yeah it's quite an interesting thing because I, I like I, I don't really i haven't really heard of it bands doing that necessarily like being like turn it up turn like calling the sound engineer out all the yeah. time maybe like there's a couple of famous oasis gigs that you can think like Liam Gallagher <laughs> yeah, maybe shouting out to the sound desk going turn this yeah. up it sounds shit but apart from that it's a it's quite unique to like drum and bass culture or to sort of like a dub culture really yeah as events scale up there's more potential for drug dealing which can lead to tensions inside and outside of venues this can lead to violence and closures of spaces I spoke to Jake about how Basement was birthed out of a void in the bass music scene. When you set up Basement, what was the sort of concept of the uh, of the venue, really? So Basement started just as like an events company. Um, so it was always a case of we had like quite a big scene in Huddersfield for like dubstep and that um, and like grime. Um, and then unfortunately things just turned out got pretty sour um, so it was mainly uh, just because the events that were going ahead um, when the, the bandwagon say started getting jumped on uh, it was a lot of kids that were like oh I can I like this sound I'm gonna go uh, there's a club that's just letting under 18s in um, and it was the same kind of time when uh, when we was at school on like a weekend everyone would just go drinking in the park kind of thing and like There'd be sometimes that you walk past the park and there'd be like maybe 50 kids just all just in the park drinking. So then it got to a point where there was a venue that people could go to underage and they could just do what they were doing in the park, but they could be inside and they could be listening to loud music. So then that kind of blew up. And then they were like, so I get to the point where I were like really in, into it, really into the sound. And this was like before... This was like early UKF days, like uh, when YouTube was just kind of popping. So this is sort of like 2009-ish? Yeah, probably, yeah, 2009, 2010. Um, so like it was, but then the, the kids that were going to nights and that, they were like, oh, have you heard this like MLK tune or have you heard so-and-so tune? And it was when it started to kind of lose its roots a bit. Um, whereas I was into like stuff kind of before that, and that makes me sound a bare hipster like i was into this before it was <laughs> cool it before it was cool but now i get what you mean so when it started to move into more the bro steppy sort of uh yeah on the tweak of like casper uh mm-hmm. roscoe type like moving slightly more bro step american type yeah. step you were still into like the deep medi yeah. uh, i mean it would have been before maybe before then but sort of like the uh the earlier dubby literally yeah. like dub type stuff as opposed to like the bro steppy uh, high energy crazy stuff yeah and that was just because um like there were just remixes of tunes that people knew so uh, like naturally they just like latch onto it um and then like at school people were talking about these tunes and they're like oh, are you going to this night um i won't mention the name oh, are you going to this night and they're like yeah yeah and then there'd be kids like two years below me when i was in my final year so they're like 14 year old kids like yeah i'm going and i'm like what like why are you going like how are you going kind of thing like what's going on here like because i never went myself because i were like a bit like oh School kind of forces you to be friends with people, I guess, uh, and like be in certain, like certain crowds and stuff like that. And it was, I was always like, I'm already spending all my days at school with you, so it's like, <laughs> and that, I don't, don't <laughs> want to be around people. That, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never went, but then uh, it got to the point where just because of this, the amount of kids that were going, trouble just started coming. Like it was the early MCAT days, so like when it was legal, so. People are just seeing it as like a like a gold mine, being like, "Oh, there's loads of kids here. Like, let's go sell a load of drugs." And um, 
Really? Like, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty sad to be fair. And like everyone knows, like the more people start selling in a club, then it's going to get to the point where you're going to have different gangs of people like stepping on each other's toes, and then that's when stuff gets nasty. So, um, unfortunately, a couple of stabbings happened um, in the club. Inside the club? Uh, it was just outside the club. Um, so that led to the license getting revoked. Um, so then that club shut down. But then it was a case of there was this massive crowd of people and like, yeah, most of them were just jumping on the bad wagon, but there were some people who were actually really interested in it. So it was a case of, right, there's a there's a crowd here. There's still a lot of people who are jumping on the bad wagon. It's still like a popping scene. So let's just, uh, people were trying to replicate what this one event was uh, because they've seen the amount of people that they may have all been kids, but uh, there were a lot of people going. So it's like uh, people started trying to replicate that. And then there were young youngins that were trying to like run the events and it got to the point where like they'd book someone for a for a gig and like you'd go like oh so and so's off play like um fifty carats is a good example but like, oh fifty carats playing it so and so and like we were still kids at the time so it was like like eighteen I'd say and we we're like oh let's go and check out like fifty carats set kind of thing and then you'd go there and like the venue would shut like or the event had shut at like half eleven just because it was just so poorly run and like club owners were like these kids don't know what they're on about. Like, let's just, let's just pull this and let's just go home because there's no point as even operating further. And that in turn just killed the scene. And like people were, who were maybe on for the bandwagon were like, Oh, there's, there's no point me even trying to be into this because I'm not able to go out. I'm like going out and I'm going home in half an hour and like kind of stuff. Cause it's just not worth it. So then it just got to the point where just the whole like movement of, like dubstep, even though it was like quite bro steppy and stuff like that, like it just like f- completely crashed. And then that's when I was like, well, I've been DJing. I've I've like I've been probably DJing three years at this time. Um, and like I was playing sets like all over the UK. So I, w- I was seeing how good events were run and like how I were being treated as an artist. And like I'd played over in Holland a couple of times, and like them man over there, like they were in places just as big as Huddersfield and they were like selling out 500 capacity venues and like it was just mad to see so it was like well why why can no one else do this like why why is it only like why in Huddersfield can no one find that secret ingredient or do an event properly so I was like well I'm just going just going to do it myself um and then uh we started doing doing shows um like every three months or so just because we we knew that monthly events weren't working because of this huge decline in uh in the like popularity so it was a case of like right let's do let's do every like every three months and then like have it as like something to look forward to like oh in three months i'm going here uh, and it gives us enough time to sell tickets and stuff like that so we've sold out pretty much every basement since we since we've been going and i think we're on like 24 maybe now or something I was just using clubs in town um, and then we'd move to one club and then we'd do a couple of shows there and then like something had happened and then the club would shut down and then we'd move somewhere else and then do a couple of shows there that would shut down and then it was a why point would where... He, uh, just to play, just to ask the, the, the question, why were the clubs shutting down, do you think? I'm not sure. I don't know if it's because of how they were managed or... Um, but like I know why... Like there's a lot of internal politics to do with it, probably. Um, like the first venue that we used, um, that ended up getting shut down because um, the owners had like a lock-in 
um, like a private lock-in. So just like um, lost their license then type thing. Yeah, yeah, and then they didn't turn their fire alarms back on. So then fire marshal came around and seen it and they got pulled with the second place that was open for a short amount of time. I don't know if it was a money laundering thing or like they just <laughs> wanted to get a club open and just to go and like dispose of some cash and then just like shut it immediately. It was, it was really weird. It was only open for like six months. And then it was like that last show that we did at that spot, um, we'd kind of seen the amount of people that were interested. Uh, it's like we had uh, 250 tickets set for sale. Uh, we sold two f- two five, and we stupidly left 25 tickets on door. And we're like, right, let's just leave them for door tickets. We've always done this kind of thing. And if people don't show up who's got tickets, then there's like a couple of spaces that could be filled that way. So put 25 on. Um, and then we had people queuing outside the venue since six o'clock in the afternoon. Like Jesus. There with camping chairs, like ordering pizzas. Who was on the lineup for that? Oh, it was ridiculous to be honest. Like, it's probably like a 10 grand lineup now, but um, we had, we had P Money, which naturally probably going to sell out anyway. Um, and then we had, um, it was Notion back to back, Holy Goof. And this was Goof's third show, I think. So, like, I knew Goof before um, he became Holy Goof. Um, so Elijah from Butters stole the first show. I'm going to hold that to him every single time. Like uh, we'd booked Goof and it was like, yes, it's Goof's first ever show. And then Elijah swoops in like the week before and we're like, yeah, do you want to play my show? So I like, but fuck's it. But yeah. Um, so you, you say you kept 25 tickets on the door. That wasn't enough. Obviously there was people yeah. queuing out there to go there. So you just had mm-hmm. to turn people away. Um, yes. And was that the first time, what venue was that at? Sorry, that's not the current one, was it? It was No, no, it's, uh, it's called Bar 122. And like I say, it's quite a, like a, it's been going for years. Like my, my parents knew Bar 122 and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it just, just showed like how much people are interested in this and how many people want to come and support. Um, so we'd, uh, so like we had a massive queue. We had a queue of about probably like 100 people, 150 people that we all just had to turn away. And it was like, in my mind, it was a case of, right, this could have been someone's first ever time hearing like a sound system. Mm. So it was like, I remember the first time I ever heard a sound system. And like, I remember like I'm here now because of that, because like, I heard that sound system. And it's like, I probably may have not even come on this journey if it wasn't for hearing a sound system first time. And like, for the, like, I could have turned someone away who might have really wanted to get into music or really wanted to like find something that, because like we've, especially sound system and just culture, how we are, like there's a lot of people who find home in venues like this and um, like meet people who are also into music. Because like when I was at school, this music was weird. People were like, this is weird music. Like why are you listening to this kind of thing? Yeah, so that's where we kind of were like, right, there's so many people here that want to that want to get on this, um, and like we needed to find another venue anyway because we knew that this rebrand were happening, and we thought, oh, it's probably not going to be that fitting. Um, and to be fair, the capacity of the venue anyway wasn't wasn't the best, um, so we were like, right, let's go, let's go and try and find a spot ourselves. Uh, and this is where I, as a sound engineer and uh, as a studio engineer, I was like, right, I want to, I want to get a job in music, doing music every day. Um, events are only weekend things. And if we're running events every three months, like we have been doing, then um, there's going to be so much time that I'm not going to be doing music where I want to be doing music. Um, so then 
I found a spot and I'm like, right, I can, I can build a couple of studios in here. Um, and then I can do events here as well. So I can kind of kill two birds, one stone and have it all as one spot. And so that's kind of where the idea came. Um, but yeah, it was from that initial event that we did at um, Bar 122, that last ever event that we did. Um, and we just saw like how much, how much people wanted it. So that was like, obviously, like you said there, supply and demand. Thankfully, you got to the position where you were like, right, we need a massive venue here because we've had to turn people away. There is supply of it there. And then what's the capacity now of the um, of the, the the venue that you're at? Sort of like the one that's It's about 400. So um, it's still not massive, but um, it's, it's like, it's it's good for the size that we are here. Um, like it is, not, mate. Um, <laughs> um, there's not many venues that are like matches for size, um, especially just within like an open space. Uh, like there will be venues that are like quite quite big, but like they'll be split over several floors. And like for for dance music and for like just you don't want to have fancy booths just there. Like you want to be like all together as like as a one big room basically. You do, mate. I can vouch for, like I said, I've been, I've been, I've only been across once, but I came across two years ago for the 140 event that you put on. And it was the first, it was the first event and the first venue that I'd been to that felt like it was built for bass music, the scene, and it wasn't catered for, for like all these other different types of events. Like, you know, sometimes you go to really nice polished nightclubs yeah. and you think, well, this looks fresh and there's liquor paint everywhere, but it's not built for this certain type of music. Your venue yeah. there at Basement felt like, I mean, obviously it was a grime show and it was sick because it felt like it had that, it had the rawness and the energy of like a venue that was built for that. Like you said, you've got a couple of studios around the outside, but the actual room itself and the clientele that were there and the vibe of it and the theme and like having like different groups, obviously like the green room, like some of the people were in like different green rooms and yeah. and the, the studios there. And like I said, there was like grime groups together. Um, there was YGG and obviously there was a lot of like the 140 boys and stuff like that as well. And um, it felt sick. It felt, do you know what it felt like? It felt, I, I don't know whether you'll take this as a, I don't even know if you know the reference, but, and you might take it as an offense or not. There's a, there's a famous video of, uh, of uh, Dizzy where he, um, I can't remember who he's spitting with, but it's the one where he's like kicking off um, where someone calls him uh, a yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, they're all spitting around mm -hmm. in the, in the small little, like the, the small venue there. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember who, who, who he started beefing with, but like that venue is quite famous for like having MCs in there and like having yeah. that grime energy in that mm -hmm. show and that sort of intimacy that was homegrown and you could feel the energy in there. Everyone's spitting going back to back. Yeah, and that's what your venue felt like. It felt like it was at this energy in there and especially because the DJs that were playing and the MCs that were there, obviously you had Coco down, it had like um, Snowy and other people that were there, like Benteki and other people. Yeah, and it did feel like a proper, proper grime like dub venue like it felt yeah. like it was built for that it felt like it was built for that energy mm -hmm. it felt like it was built for that crowd and like you said there like on your website and on the on the promotion and on all the advertising there as well like you said we 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 welcome everybody we don't judge anyone on their race we don't judge yeah. what they're wearing we don't judge anyone like what music you listen to mm -hmm. like a rave is a rave and people yeah. are there to be welcomed and there to have like a good experience and a good time and i feel like sometimes when you go to these nice polished mad nightclubs yeah. like it's like okay yeah it's lovely and whatever it looks nice inside but it's got no character and it's got no depth and you can tell that it's just there to make money from people and you can tell it's just there to sort of like just just be a money-making thing it's yeah. not there for the love of the music whereas yeah. your venue and your location and the and the inside and the interior and everything in it felt like it was true and it was raw yeah man it's like um we like class ourselves as like a location venue um like we've, when we used to do nights in town, it was always the people that were like walking past and be like, oh, should we just nip in here for a couple? And that they'd come to your door and they'd be like, oh, what kind of music is it? And you're like, oh, it's dubstep. And they'd be like, oh, I don't want to listen to that and all this stuff. Or then like, 
they'd be like one of the group of people would like convince them to go in and they'd, they'd be like, oh, how much is it? And you'd be like seven quid and be like seven pound, like I'm not paying seven pound and all this stuff. And then like they'd eventually convince themselves that they wanted to come in and then they'd come in and then it'd be them who the ones that would kick off or like they just wouldn't understand the vibe. And um, yeah, it kind of, kind of makes like what we're saying about going to school and that as a youth and it's like, everyone's kind of looking at each other and like, oh, what's he wearing? What's this person doing? Why is this person doing this? And like I find with commercial nightclubs in general, that's kind of what the vibe is anyway. Like people are always wanting to wear the fanciest gear and like the biggest chain. And it's okay to like events that cater for like our genres. It's not, it's not about that. Like it's a dark room. You can't see fuck all in there. Like you can't see what someone in front of you is wearing. Like, if you're wearing Gucci, like who cares? Like no one gives a shit. Like you're there cause you're there for music. And that's why we, we've never had any issues down here is that the fact that people come here cause they want to come here. They don't come because they've been convinced to come down or uh, they don't come because they've just stumbled across it and they're just like, I fancy checking it out in here. And like when they do come, like there's been so many people who have been like, Oh, I just used to go out in town and I've started coming down here and, like, I just don't want to go out in town anymore because I don't feel safe. I don't feel in, like, at home. And, like, there's people who have messaged me and, are, like, just been chatting to on, like, an evening. Um, and they'll be like, oh, uh, like, I had a ticket. And then, so I had a ticket with another guy and, like, my other guy pulled out and they were like, I was trying to sell a ticket and I couldn't sell a ticket. But then I was like, oh, I'll just go down anyway because I'll know someone there. I'll bump into someone. And, like, just stuff like that. It's just, that's the the most like the thing that makes me feel like I've achieved something the most is just people being able to like respond in that way. And like people being- feel nice and wholesome and for you yeah. to cater and have created that environment and to have created a home for a lot of people there to listen to music. Like you said, when you're at school or when you're at uni and people might have thought, what the fuck's that? Don't listen yeah, to that. Yeah. <laughs> and for you to accommodate it and be like, no, you know what? This is sick. We've got, leave your egos at the door. Yep. Everyone's here for the vibes mm-hmm. and for the music. It's not here to, like you said, what you're wearing, whatever. And for you to have people message you and for you to have created that sort of scene and that space for people to be like, this is sick. This is a good vibe um it's got to feel wholesome it's got yeah. to feel really wholesome for you yeah, especially if you want to do it right uh, like we mentioned earlier with the earlier promoters trying to run run nights and stuff like they just want was, wasn't running it properly and it's just being able to kind of see where you're going wrong um what do you reckon they were getting wrong so sort of like what do you think are some common mistakes that people do when they're like i'm not asking you to name anyone's names but what have you seen do you think a witness when people are trying to run events or run uh venues like what are some of the big mistakes that you think people do um one of them is people thinking it's like a walk in the park um and like they soon realize when tickets aren't se- selling or uh, when people don't want to come to unite that's like a big kick in the dick and it's like people don't realize that at the start um when you start planning an event two i'd probably say people getting on it like during events like it's all right to have a cheeky beer in now but like it's like trying to go to work and like see you did like dominoes or something like you wouldn't start making bare pizzas like, like Ketty off your tits kind of thing. And like, <laughs> luckily we don't really have, promo- we don't have promoters down here that are doing that kind of shit. But it's like, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it happen. And like, especially when I were younger and I've seen it happen and people just off the tits and. So they're at their own event and just banging loads of drugs up their nose yeah. and thinking, oh great. Like I'll just, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And yeah. then obviously stuff goes to shit and they can't control it. 
like you like I, I get it that you want to have a, a good time like because it's like you're throwing an event at the end of the day and you like you want to be involved in this event but it's like can you not just have one day off where you just want to work it and you want to because that's the thing you, you won't pay attention to all them little details that you need to do and like you have the respect that you get from like artists when you like when you look after them when you take them to the like the green room when you like, sit them down when you give them your rider when you chat to them you and you see how the day went and like stuff like that and like you can never you can never do that if you're not in the right mind for him. Yeah, I don't think there's a, there's anyone I've had on the podcast really yet that has a that has discussed or has really yet had that sort of experience where they've like like you said you own in a venue there you would have you would have probably had people at your venue as well where you think fucking now they're a bit drunk or they're a bit yeah, off the yeah. night. like it's their night what they're mm-hmm. doing they're supposed to be like sorting the it's sort of like uh, is the guest list sorted like oh what time's this person coming yeah. what person's that. Not everybody you work with in the music industry is going to have your best intentions at heart. I spoke to Jake about when he was threatened at one of his own events. Have you ever sort of like had to like learn the hard way where something's gone wrong and you thought like, oh, this is really fucked up, but at least I can learn from this. Yeah, all fucking time. And like, I think, <laughs> <laughs> mate, oh, there's been so many times. Go on, give us, a, give us uh, some examples that you feel comfortable talking about. All right, uh, let's go... So the first one, like the first one's kind of a long story. So I'm going to kind of condense it down a bit. But like the first time we kind of learned from the hardware, it was like, don't trust these assholes in suits, basically. That was the lesson that we learned from it. And um, so we'd done, a, we'd done this first event and it was coming on to the second event. Um, we'd booked like some established artists with the money that we used from that first event. And we were like, right, let's um, let's just book. We booked Devilman. And we're like, yes, like we fucking love Devilman. Let's, let's book him. Booked him, um, sold tickets out. And then a week before the event, we walked past the venue and it had like a sign on it and it were like, oh, uh, due to, uh, I can't remember what it said, due to something, something, um, we have uh, we have ceased trading. So I was like, what the fuck's going on here? So I messaged the guy who ran the venue and I was like, what's going on here? And he was like, oh, he explained to me about him being pulled off the lease because of, of the fire risk and stuff like that. So then... He were like, but if you message the guy who owns the venue, because we just rented it off a guy, he'll uh, he'll probably let you open and stuff like that. I've just explained it to him. So sent him an email and we're like, yep, yeah, we've sold all these tickets, like expecting a busy night. Uh, we've paid everyone in, in full. So if we can't go ahead with this this night, it's going to be gonna be a bit shit. Like we're going to have lost a lot and like a ton of money. And we're like 19 year old kids at the time. So it's like a couple of thousand pounds were like big money. And we're like, um, so we're like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Like, uh, go ahead. Um, we'll just send some staff down from one of his other, other nightclubs that we own in town. We'll send some staff around uh, and we'll look forward to a good night. And he even used the term, we were all promoters once. And I'm like, right, this guy like is on it. Like I can trust this geezer. And then came to the night, he sent a manager down to open up and we were setting up on that. And I could just kind of got like a bit of a weird vibe from this manager. And I'm like, I don't think he quite understands what's going to go down tonight. Like I don't think he understands the the event. Um, what did he? What do you think he thinks it was? I don't know if he just expect because he'd come from another nightclub. I don't know if he just expected it to be like a nightclub event. Um, yeah, just like groups of people, just like a DJ that's playing like chart hits. Yeah, just yeah, like, it's all let's night go kind to the of bar thing. Type yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, one of them. And then because we had like we used to do like a live stream, we used to record it all. And we had like this little spare room that had like a it was like a shitty desk on it, and we just put the computer in there, and ran all the cameras to it, we just left it in there. Um, and he were like, oh, you, you can't use that space. That door's got to be kept open. And I'm like, it don't matter. Like it's out of the way. And he were like, no, you can't, you can't have it. That's fire risk. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Uh, and then he locked the door anyway on the night. So it was, I was a bit like, 
all right, okay, whatever. Um, and then the night started and his first artist came and like one of his boys and he were like, oh, bouncers aren't letting us in. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, they're saying that I need ID. And I were like, this guy's like 27. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not getting in without ID. And I was like, oh, fuck off. Fair enough, let's let's go. Um, and then, so they won't let him in at all. Um, and Even though it was your venue. Yeah, no, yeah, sorry, it was your event. night and you were saying yeah. like, he's playing. Yeah, like, yeah. I can bounce that he's it, over. Kind of yeah. And he were like, um, he were like, I'll literally just play my set and I'll go. And he were like, nah, you're not, you're not coming in, you're not coming in. So then I were the one who had to, had to fill his, like, Fill the spot, so like right, I'll go down, uh, leave it, one of my boys on the on the door, and then I come up after after my set, and I were like, "Is everything all right?" And he were like, "Nah." He were like, "These guys are being assholes, these fucking bouncers." And then like throughout the night, I kind of just witnessed it firsthand, and like people were walking walking in in like trackies and like trainers, and they were just like laughing at them and like calling them scruffy cunts for wearing like trainers to events and stuff like that. These bouncers were these bouncers were, and it was like, what the fuck, like how can these guys be such assholes? And like, there's just something that they're wearing. Um, and like, like I keep saying, it was, it was like being back at school, mate. It were like, yeah, just judging people on yeah. what their clothes they're wearing or judging people on that. And then having the audacity and having the thing to go, I'm going to just say to his face or I'm going to say to them, like, you look like a mad bastard. Yeah, exactly. That. So it was, it were fucking shit. And then a devil man turned up and he didn't have his ID with him. And I was like, surely he's not letting this he's not gonna not let him in he's like headliner spent cash on him kind of thing they were like oh he's not coming in without id and i was like what the fuck and even the bouncer were like is that really devil man and i was like yeah just fucking let him in the building in it and he were like nah he's not coming in and then the guy who so then devil man were on the street so everyone who were in the club just left the building and then we're just chilling with devil man on the street and he were like oh Oh. one of my boys owns a bar in hoods so i'm just gonna go up there so he went up there and like took bear man with him um obviously it was like the headline artist who said to start like refunding tickets and that on door <sighs> complete nightmare and then the guy who owned the building he'd flown back from a beefer and he was like oh, i've just come by just like to check it out before um before going home and he were like came in there were not that many people in the in the venue and i were like saying to him like i had to turn loads of people away and like explain the thing with the artist and he were like took one of my boys upstairs and he were like fucking sat him down and he were like right you guys owe us 400 quid to cover all this stuff and we're like but we've got an email saying you like you said that it were fine we didn't have to pay no money and then he were like nah i've changed my mind um if you don't give us 400 quid right now we're gonna kick the fuck out of you kick the fuck out of your boy downstairs uh we're gonna seize all your equipment and like the sound engineer at times, like a 50 year old guy just like had a, had a stroke and it was just like fucking threatening him and shit like that. And it was just like, what the fuck? Like you've just come in here and like basically sabotaged the event. And then like, we're like 19 year old kids in it. And it's like, how can you get such a power trip from just doing shit like that? And it, it was, that's it was basically bullying, bro. Like, I'm yeah, fucking, that, bro, that is absolutely just fuggish behavior. Yeah, and that's yeah, like man. proper sort of stereotypical, like, you know, like nightlife industry, like you've got to post this Monday, otherwise we're going to kick the shit out of yeah, you type exactly. thing. Just bullying, just yeah. old school ways of bullying. And so then what did you do have to do? Like pay up? Yeah, to pay up, I had to borrow some money off my boy. And like, let's like say 19 year old kids, like trying to find 400 quid off people. It was ridiculous. Um, after refunding load of tickets and stuff. So yeah, it, it were hard work, but like from then, that's kind of been the thing that's motivated me now more. Like I've been like, I never want to be like that guy. I never want to fucking talk to someone that way. And like, have you seen him since? Have you seen the bouncers since? No, t- to be fair, like I can't even remember what the bouncers look like. Um, and I probably couldn't even remember what he looked like. I know his name and I'm like, I know 
his movements in the industry sometimes like is is kind so of he's still just, active and yeah he's still, still active the, you know, my man's like a fucking billionaire millionaire or something like do you know i mean like he didn't need 400 kid off uh, quid off a couple of kids like that's piss change to him kind of thing so yes yeah, it's, it's, it was just tough but like i say that's the thing that's been like right fuck you like i want to do this thing like i'm i'm just gonna do it i don't like you can you tried stopping me someone tried stopping me and like i was gonna say mate fair play to you for not that a lot of people would have obviously done that and thought fuck this i'm not doing this ever again i'm not sitting here you've just like in front of like loads of people that bought tickets haven't let them in haven't let the artist in now i've suddenly got a cough up a load of cash as well like for the for the chance of like not having an event on and not having to do this so like a lot of people would have been put off mate so absolutely yeah, fair play to you for for continuing through and um carrying on with the event and yeah he sounds like a right prick and yeah, absolute prick but it's like yeah i had to learn learn the hard way with that um but it's just come to the point where what uh, did you learn from that then i know it sounds like obviously well, it might sound like a silly question but like from that circumstance and from that set of events what did you take away from that um, one was like get everything in in writing, like properly signed contracts in it, rather than just like a couple of emails. Because like we were we were willing to take it to court in it, um, but then we knew how much money this guy had, and we knew he'd probably have a mad solicitor team. So we we're like, it's, it's just not worth it. And then another thing is just like kind of don't really trust no one until like you until you fully judge them as a character. Um, because like all we had to go on was his emails, and like we ca- we kind of knew that these kind of nightclub owners were a bit not shady, but like a bit a bit different to what us men were like. And like we're in it for music, whereas they're in it for like making money off drinks. So we kind of knew that was going to be the case, but like we didn't think it were going to be that bad in it. And then have you got a? Because that's like a. I mean, it's a it's a terrible situation, but it's a fantastic anecdote to uh, to bring out on a podcast. Is it? Yeah, like you laughed there and said you've got lots of experiences. Have you got any other experiences that you can learn from or where something's gone wrong? Another one would be that we didn't realize that we had people underneath us dance floor. Um, so when we first moved in, we were like, all right, so we're coming through the gra- at the ground level, and then we go down into the main room, and then that's that's bottom of the building like there's nothing else below us um how were we wrong and then fucking uh, we who's started, underneath i didn't realize there was a um like so we so we'd moved in and um like i found out maybe maybe like two weeks before the event or something and we're like there's these there were these floor boxes that had like plugs in them and we're like oh uh they were just used for because it used to be an office space um so we pulled these pulled these wall boxes up these floor boxes up and um, I just seen like another ceiling. I was like, "What the fuck's this?" And then the guys from downstairs were like, "Oh, when you, because uh, there's like another office bit or like another warehouse." So we're like, "Oh, it's just people working in like a warehouse behind us, kind of thing." And they were like, um, "Oh yeah, uh, when you when you're doing stuff in in the building, just don't throw everything on the floor because like we can fucking hear it." And I was like, "What are you blowers?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah." And then we were destroying <laughs> this wall. Putting on dub events and putting on the biggest bass heavy systems, and they're going, "Can you just not just move around at top?" And you're thinking, "Jesus Christ, if you can hear people moving, what we can yeah. do when we got a system?" I, like, like I can hear them, so I thought, oh, "It's not like this." They just they've been there for so long; they're just like kind of used to the sound of the building, and like they can just hear fucking everything. So then we were destroying this wall, and um, my boy was on top of this ladder, smashing this wall up with a sledgehammer, and I was like, "Catch the rubble and." put it on the floor rather than just let it fucking smash on the floor. And then like, as I was saying that, I like jumped off like the bit of the stage that we had and like, I'd just gone straight through this wall, but like this floor box and like <laughs> my foot, 
just was downstairs and my top half of my body were upstairs. And um, <laughs> they'd, come down, they'd come up and they're like, do you realize you've just come through a shower? And I was like, yeah, I think I do know my foot's in there, pal. Like, I do realize I've just fallen into through here. And um, we managed to sort it. But then after his first event, we were all like, right, fucking should be fine. Like, we've uh, we built the stage. It's, it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But then uh, the Monday after we did his first event, I had a grand and a half bill. Uh, come through my email because we'd shaken all the urinals off the toilets downstairs. Um, the system was that the system loud and that, that fucking heavy that it would just just destroy the toilets. Like there were tiles everywhere, like full full uh, urinals just smashed on the floor, and we were like, for fuck's sake! But then ever since, like since then, I've been like, right, strengthen the floor. So we had as joiner come in and we we're like, spent a couple like like planning this build and like, right, we'll build a strong floor and like this floor ain't going nowhere. Um, like, have you seen that video of that like house party in like America or somewhere where the, yeah, floor, I have, where the whole floor collapses and um, everyone bro, that like, blood, yeah. I was having nightmares of that shit. Me, I was like, yeah, just Jesus imagine Christ. everyone coming down through in an office and especially because what's the situation there? Because I thought you were going to say like, oh, they were going to noise, like have noise complaints, like where obviously they're like an office or a working yeah. building. But I suppose they're never like in the office the, the, the when you're having time, to yeah. on. Yeah. So that was kind of the relief. Um, and then the man have moved out now and it's just like a, a storage facility now below us. So right. it's not as bad. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's a pretty good story to tell, to be, to be fair. That's probably what I've learned from it mostly. It's just a good story. <laughs> <laughs> make sure that there's a reinforced floor. Make sure you know your neighbours are. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, no jumping off of the yeah. stage. No yeah. stage diving. That's a, no, that's a, yeah, I didn't realise. I mean, I've only been there once, but I, I, I'm trying to pitch it back and I couldn't imagine it being, being uh, there stuff underneath it. But yeah, um, yeah, so there's an office below it. But yeah, it's, a, it's strong as fuck now. Like we've done a lot of work to that floor. Like reinforced extra steels in and like yeah just gone kind of ham with it yeah is there is djq still got a, a studio space there he does yeah he um yeah he's here all the time it's like his second home to be fair to be fair it's like his first home and his his actual home is like his second home like he's here all the time which is good man like it's it's good because like i grew up with q tunes like like 40 seconds of a q tune just like on my phone like bluetooth in it about and stuff like that and then it's like those days that was like good friends in it so it's yeah, pretty good. That, I was, that blew my mind a little bit when when I first visited and you were like, oh yeah, DJ, DJ Q's got a studio there. And I was like, what the fuck? Mm. And then as I literally, I think about five minutes later, just turned up to the event. <laughs> wasn't even, wasn't playing, wasn't doing anything. It just literally was there. It was like, oh no. Like, and obviously, because it was a base event and because it yeah. was like, you've got like, 400 people there that will know who DJ Q is and it's like mm-hmm. what the fuck like what the yeah, hell is going on he's like oh yeah I'm just just you know working on some tunes working on yeah. some tracks like enjoy yourself boys yeah, see you later and it was like that's a yeah that's sick I mean how did that come around did he like come and like was you open up the venue open up the studio space and then he was like oh I want somewhere local to, uh, to produce well it was a case of um, like I kind of know Q from like we booked him uh, like the first birthday we ever did so that was like 2014 or something uh, so we booked him and like I kind of just kept in contact a little bit like it was just like on Facebook, not really like a good friends thing. It was just like, oh, he'll shout me every now and again, or like you'll see some of that I'll do, and he'll like be like, oh yeah, that's co- that's cool, like keep it up, kind of thing, and um, like just bits of inspiration here and there, um, and like as a as a you like growing up listening to Q, being inspired by Q, like just even him just dropping me a message or like commenting on one of my photos, like saying, oh yeah, that's sick. I'm like, oh, well, like go on, like this is big things. Like I'm, I'm doing good here kind of thing. So it was, it was it's just been a big inspiration since then. And just kind of kept in contact and stuff and like kind of told him stuff that we were doing and 
just kind of wanted to keep him in the loop. And then uh, one day he messaged me about studio space and he was like, oh, do, do you know anywhere that's got like studio space? And I was like, no, nah, like, I can't think of anywhere in it. And then we, uh, and then I got this space and I was like, yo, Q, we're looking for a space. Maybe I can like incorporate this and like can help, it can like, I can have a regular income like from Q paying like to use the space and like building him something that he'd like use and like it'd be better than him just going and getting an office space and then like having noise complaints and stuff like that just giving him somewhere that he can actually like work from because i was looking to build my own studio anyway so kind of thought well i can just kill two birds with one stone here and i could build like a big room and then like partition it kind of thing um so yeah q had a studio here before even i did so he, he were like the <laughs> when it was being built i was like oh do you want to come around and have a ch- check it out and it, this was like the second day I'd ever, I got the space, I was like, do you want to come around and check it? And he was like, yeah, this, this is sick. And then built in the room. And then, uh, yeah, he's just been here ever since. And yeah, it's just good because like I'll, uh, like even just then bits of inspiration and just like seeing what Q's doing and it's like, he'll be just doing some mad shit. And I'm like, yo, that's, that's fucking crazy. Like you are absolutely killing it. And he's just like such a humble guy. And like, he's always there to like be like, oh, it's, it don't matter. Like he's, like he's, he's, he's just doing his thing and, that's what I've always just looked up to the fact that people say like on oh, baseline died or whatever, but like Q's just always just been doing Q, like regardless of what's been happening. Like he's just been doing his thing. Is he's not cared about? Oh, there's so much money in this and there's so much money in that. He's just like made music, and like he's just such a good producer. He's he's so talented and he's just like it's just a pleasure to be around. To be honest, yeah, mate. It was a. Uh... Yeah, it was it was magic seeing him there, and it's magic to think that uh, there's not many there's not many artists that I can think of that have like a dedicated like they'll have they'll either have their own studio like in their own house or whatever yeah, or in yeah. the garage or whatever, or they'll go to like rented places or stuff like that. So it's sure. uh, it's very unique to have yeah. like a, a big artist at your venue dedicated mm-hmm. there, mate. Jake, it's mm-hmm. been an absolute pleasure. I don't know. It's, it's been fantastic to hear bro. about it, mate. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on, and it's uh, you've had some blinding blinding anecdotes um, um, I'm from, glad. from your ex- <laughs> yeah from your experiences and from the venue and uh, like I said we haven't had anyone on here that is a is a venue owner no or, or like an audio engineer um so to have those two unique uh, perspectives on the podcast absolutely fantastic to have you on mate that's a pleasure bro anytime Listen, mate, I've told you once I've told you twice you're not on the list all right all right